Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. This is Cesar Pliqueta. This is William. This is Ali Riley. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and I cover all of Chelsea's latest matches, team news, and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you for being an awesome listener, and with no further delay, let's jump right in. All right, Chelsea fans, we are back with part two of the Man City Carabao Cup final coming at you. Here we are. I've got Dan and Nick. Amity left us. Totally understandable. Unfortunately, Mike is not here. I mean, Dan, can you believe that after this match, he was so stressed that with his own bare hands, tore down a shed in his backyard? Just absolute monster. Well, he went He went Hulk. You know, he was really disappointed at Keppa's performance. He was just aggrieved at the lack of leadership from Azpilicueta and David Luiz on the pitch. He you know, really has given up on Mauricio Sarri and all of Chelsea Football Club. I actually think he is now a Manchester City supporter after today's performance and uh, basically just tore down a shed and uh, you know brought down a building, Nicholas. I mean, really just crazy turn of events. Past 24 hours have been wild. Yeah, uh, I think there are a few people on Chelsea Twitter who would, who would fame to try and do the same thing, but, but would not be able to. So, um, so what you get, Mike's a big burly dude, you know, he can, he can rip trees out of the ground, uh, roots and all. And, uh, and that's where we're at with Chelsea football club folks. I mean, if you guys could all go to Twitter, Instagram at Rainier blues at 
R-A-I-N-I-E-R-B-L-U-E-S and just tell him you're thinking about him and hoping he's doing all right. <laughs> you know, honestly, that would mean a lot from us, his his friends that are concerned about him and where he's at right now. Uh, but let's go ahead and kind of preface this. If this, you know, this episode is all about your questions that you've sent to us, whether it is match related, whether it's Chelsea related, whether it's personal related, we are here to answer those questions for you. Uh, can definitely be a little bit more of a lighthearted episode. It all just depends on what we get from you, our listeners. So in advance, a massive thank you just for all the questions we do get because this is uh, a, you know, a, an overwhelmingly successful part of our show, and we want to thank you for that. Uh, if you do want to get your question answered on this episode, you need to uh, – best bet is to join us on Patreon, support us on there, and you can submit your questions on Patreon and Discord – Uh, which is what we use to communicate with our supporters who give us money every single month. Otherwise, you can give it a shot by hitting us up on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at LondonBluePod is how you can get us there. So without any further delay, except for a quick ad break from our friends. All right, I apologize. Look, it was a quick ad break. That is it. Now we are back to business. So kicking it off, Nick, coming at you from our buddy, Aerith Muggle, saying, question for the pod hosts. Is coming away from today's loss in a cup final and feeling, in quotation marks, proud of the performance, end quotes, instead of upset that we lost, one step along the arsenalification <laughs> of Chelsea. And holy shit, do I hate this question. Uh, <laughs> no uh, punches pulled by Shane. Yeah, yeah, hi, Shane. Um, thanks for that. <laughs> uh, so I would understand why someone could think that. Um, however, you know, if you were to think about how Arsenal might have performed in a cup final against Man City, uh, odds are that they would not have been as resilient as Chelsea have, you know, were and have been at times this season and certainly wouldn't have gone to penalties with a shout to win it. Um, so no, I think the reason that we are proud of this performance, uh, and, and are hopeful that the team can rally this season is because we've seen, you know, kind of the opposite in the last six weeks. We've seen the team's heads drop. We've seen, you know, really bad body language. We've seen, you know, just flat out quit in some of these players. And I think it's, I think it's acceptable, Dan, to be proud of the performance and also want more. I, I'm going to hedge a little bit. I don't know if I'm, I'm super proud of the performance because I think it would, to me, to be, 100% proud in what happened in this match that you would have to also be lifting the trophy at the end of it. I think there were moments in regular time and moments in extra time that if the right decision were made, or the right pass were played, that this could have been won in either of those scenarios by this team. So I am, I see promise. I'm, I'm hopeful in the team rebounding in the right way to secure a top four finish, to get back in the Champions League, to maybe do the unthinkable and win the Europa League as well. But I don't know if I'm, I don't think proud is the right word. I just, I, I feel that I'm, I'm, I don't know, my, my hopefulness is renewed a little bit more. Um, because I, I mean, I, I think, you know, you have to win to be, you know, in my mind, to be a little proud about what's happened. It's, uh, it's a hell of a question. I think celebrating not losing in a cup final is, it's not not a good look, but I mean, it's look. not celebrating. It's not celebrating losing. Like, true. I, I think that's I think that's where like Dan. I, I think you're a little bit off. Is 
it's not you can be proud of something and still be disappointed, right? Like I, I don't, you know, I'm I'm not a parent, but I'm assuming that you know there there are times that you know my parents were proud of me even though I didn't bring home the the medal at the end of a sports season or something like that, right? Like I think you can still be appreciative of the effort that the team put in and want more. And we have been lucky as Chelsea fans that this team has given us more. Uh, more often than not, uh, you know, if you think about our record in cup finals over the last 15 years, it's very, 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 very good. And this was one of the rare moments along with, you know, the Arsenal FA Cup, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, which was a much worse performance than this today that, you know, we can be disappointed leaving, you know, Wembley. But you know, again, after everything, after all the context, of the last six weeks and everything that's gone on in the last week, even specifically, it's not above or below board to to feel proud of the way this team fought, and I'm not I'm not going to be told otherwise. And, and and right, like you're you're entitled to feel that way, and I think no one you know can ascribe you know what how someone else should feel. I just I am just worried that if we start to become proud or you know celebrate the fight or talk about how oh, we kept our heads held high, like that is the type of mentality that. Arsenal supporters have had for almost going on two decades now um, where, you know, finishing in the top four or getting to a final was a really good show and a really good show of support. I think in, in my mind, like I'm, I'm happy with the way we've responded. I think that is a, a thing to look as a positive. I think I am disappointed that the results uh, did not, kind of match the majority of the output. I think there was still, you know, if we're going to be critical of the match, I think there's still things in terms of the, the way that we finished, you know, our chances, the way that, you know, some of our players kind of get into attacking positions are still ripe for kind of improvement and opportunity. So I, I think at the end of the day, though, I would say that I, I think the, the the scary thing would be is that if we, we do start the arsenalification of, Chelsea's support. I think one of the things that we can't slip is the standard that like not winning a trophy, it should be seen as a bad thing. Some of the performance on the pitch can be described as a good thing though. I think you're right that we can delineate between the two, but I, I would heart, you know, caution not bringing them too close together. Like there should be viewing them a little bit out of each other's orbit. I think that uh, Shane is setting us up for that. That was a loaded question, man, right off the bat. Just, just brutal. Um, I think context, he's ripping us apart from the inside. I, That's what he's doing. I think right. context is key, man. Like we just lost the city six nothing, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm not proud that we lost. It's more of like I'm proud that we didn't get our shit kicked in, kind of a thing. I don't know if that's the same to you, but that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, Bucci, our buddy Bucci on Patreon, saying, "Is Keppa looking like he's worth half?" Of the price tag we paid for him. Whoa. Seriously. Now, Whoa. Let, let me clarify real quick. We paid 71.6 million pounds for him. Half would be roughly 35 million pounds. So let me give you, a, let's see, what did um, the Everton goalkeeper go for from Sunderland? He went for probably about 40, I want to say. it was about 40, yeah. Pickford, so... Yeah. Obviously, I can't. Why can't I think of his name right now? Pickford. Pick, yeah. So I just said it. <laughs> if, Pick, if Pickford's forty, you think Keppa's uh, worth at least 
35, Nick? Where, where? I, I guess I'm confused as you know to where this is coming from. I, I think of all of our starting 11 players, that like Kepa's been very consistent this year, and we've talked about him at length on the show. I don't. I think. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, Brandon, what you what you think as the goalkeepers union card carrying member, but I think he's played pretty well this season. Of course, there have been some soft goals let in, no doubt about that. But I think he's done a very good job saving the shots that he should. And uh, you know, outside of the, the little you know tantrum today, I, I think he's been a model citizen. So I, I, I guess I'm confused on this. Maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. I mean, I've been. It's kind of a weird situation. So like again context i was so pissed when courtois left like great goalkeeper uh had his flaws was a terrible person but on the pitch he was a great goalkeeper um having not a great time at real madrid which is fantastic it'll piss me off they'll probably go and win the champions league though because that's what they do um so you got keppa to come in and Chelsea paid a boatload of money for him, relatively unknown. Look, I think he's been great, especially when you're looking at changing Chelsea's style. I said this when we signed him. Uh, this is a clear indication that they want to build from the back because they bought the furthest back player who had foot skills and essentially could play in in the field with them. So, you know, Bucci, I don't know, man. Uh, let us know what isn't going well in your eyes with Keppa. I know he's a little bit short and Nick said that there's some goals that I guarantee Courtois would have saved, but at the same time, like he showed consistency, he showed poise and uh, he's young. I mean, a high, high ceiling for him. So, so Brandon real quick, because I think you would have the the best experience to discuss on this. I, I read one comment and I forget where I saw it on Twitter, but someone mentioned the fact that they've observed that there are times where he'll get his hands to the ball but he won't have like the power to kind of like keep the ball out and it'll kind of roll in. Um, have you seen that? And like, is that something that's like a, a coachable behavior in terms of like adjusting or adapting to? Not really. It's more of a, when he's fully stretched and the ball is kind of creeping in the corner, he doesn't have enough behind it to keep it out. And that is just more of a, uh, a limitation of his height in that sense. Um, but otherwise he's a, he's fantastically athletic and can cover most of the goal. But if you think to like the Sturge goal that went in over him, that would be one that a Courtois would probably save semi-comfortably just because he has those extra inches. Fair. All right. Next one up, Akshay saying, great performance with all the heart and grit we've been missing in the last month and a half. Keppa is going to get a lot of ear about what he did, and deservedly so. But do you think... Many Chelsea fans would have batted an eye if that was Czech, Terry, or Dragma refusing to come off. I'm not seeing it. Damn, this is... Whew, boy, if I knew the social questions were going to be this hard, I might have tapped out. But here we are. I don't know if I would see any of those guys doing that. I don't know. Dragba? I can see Dragba. Yeah. Cup I, final? I, overtime? I, there have been, been times where Terry's been, been hooked and, you know, he's... You know, if, if John Terry can accept the hook, then I think really anyone else should be able to accept the hook when it comes and make their true. way off the pitch. So if that's the you know the model we're going to use, then I, I think it's you know it's always in the right of the player to be pissed about it, especially if they think that they 
had something to contribute or, you know, we're, we're still trying to find their form. Um, you know, whomever we subbed off for Diabolgy, like, obviously they should be extremely pissed. Um, you know, I mean, so like, just, you know, I, I guess, I, I don't know, Nick, I'm, I'm not too nonplussed around it. I think ultimately the, the best Chelsea players and the ones that we would consider legends would just take it on the chin. And, you know, I think would probably have gotten the same stick if they had not walked off the pitch, knowing kind of their commitment to the club. Yeah. I look, I, I think there was a really good tweet uh, earlier uh, and I, I don't remember who it's by. So I apologize for listening to this and I, and I didn't source you properly, but the question was if that was Jorginho refusing to come off or, Emerson refusing to come off or how like how would you feel about it is that I actually think that in all of this that Chelsea fans because Kepa has been a model citizen for most of the most of the year you know outside of today's thing uh that you know he we're actually getting over this much quicker than if it would have been another player that we don't feel as good about like if William refused to come off or Jorginho like this whole place would be burning to the ground. <laughs> like it, it's just, so I think it's a bit of a double standard, honestly. And uh, look, I, it was a bad look for everybody. It made us look like we were disorganized and not, you know, functioning as a unit, which I hate the most. Cause the optics of that for sorry at a time where he desperately needs everyone to buy in are really bad. And I also hate it because we had really good game up to that point. And this whole thing is taking away from that. But I, I just don't, you know, I, I think there's just a lot to unpack, and I don't know what the right thing is, Brandon. I guess. Well, I mean, look, I, that's the first time I've ever seen anything like that, too, right? So it's kind of a, a crazy, one-off, weird situation. I mean, um, you saw a lot of, uh, you saw a lot of a, 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 what I would say, like fans have been around for decades, completely baffled. I think it was Marco. Um, Mark Worrell saying what he was kind of whatever about it and just saying the fans will be here long after both Maurizio and Keppa have, have gone. And I, you know, I don't understand that, but I think as you're saying, the optics of it in the moment compounded with everything else that is going on is not an ideal look. Uh, as Omni pointed out at the end of the last episode, Hey, everyone's singing off the same sheet of music right now, and I think that shows a lot. Who knows what happens for the Spurs match, if Keppa plays or not. I think it'll be a real easy narrative to just say, oh, he is actually hurt after this match. He isn't playing, and there might be some other things behind the scenes. But look, we're never going to know about that. Travis asking, now that Sari has had a chance to respond and mitigate the damage... Do you think Keppa will start versus Spurs, in quotes, if he's fit? It's a huge game, and we need the, and we'll need his talent. However, I would understand if he needs to be punished. Right, so here we go, Nick. It's a massive three points for Chelsea battling for top four. It's still Spurs, right? Um, this would really be a huge kick in their nuts to their title challenge that wasn't a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it's a weird, yeah, I, weird situation, like we were just talking about. I, so if I were if I were Maurizio or if I were the club, and you know, I think Dan brought this up in part one, and I'll reiterate: I think you definitely have to find him. 
you know, and regardless of if it was an innocent mistake or not, it's still, you know, unacceptable and you can't have a precedent of heirs doing this. Right. So completely agree with that. There have to be repercussions. Yeah. So like, and look, he's getting paid enough that that, that part won't matter. So I'm not worried about that. This is where it becomes tricky though, because if you're Maurizio and he's fit, he's our number one goalkeeper. And By he's our number mile. one goalkeeper and in a game that we desperately need to win. We were there last year when we lost the Spurs at home, and it was a destructive feeling. Um, he just lost at home to Manchester United, which was also a disruptive atmosphere where a lot of people walked out early. He cannot afford to lose this game in, in, in the uh, mission of keeping his job. So I don't know, Dan. Like, I, if, you, if it's punishment for punishment's sake, can you wait to punish him until you do a quote unquote internal investigation <laughs> after Wednesday and, and punish him against Cardiff or something? I, like, I don't know. Uh, so I think that's added layers. His job is on the edge, Dan, just balancing week to week, day by day. He's either seen as a weak leader or the, and there's player power or he punishes him and they lose and he gets sacked. Like, what a miserable situation for Maurizio right now. So you're saying it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. Little which in bit. that case, nobody wins. So the best thing to do is just find the guy, say that the matter was handled internally and that you know all, all parties now are working forward and moving forward in the right direction. And you play with the best player available. Now, I mean, he also was on the ground three times nursing his hamstring. So there is the possibility, too, that they go assess him after the match and say that he physically is not ready to go play another 90 minutes of football, um, which could be realistic for uh, uh, several of the players that played in this match. But yeah, I, I think you have to play with your best players. I think you handle it via fine and you send him back out there with some pretty stern words and go forward. And I mean, he, he, he put out a statement. Mauricio said stuff in my mind, it's done. It's closed as much as people are going to want to recycle it for the next week or so that that's up to them to do that. But the club and all the players and the team need to just be focused on the same goal, which is going and absolutely wrecking spurs and claiming three points, three, three yep. points. I, what is three point? No, I'm kidding. We haven't gone that long since we've won again. Uh, but man, there's nothing better than getting back to form with Spurs. You know, JT talked about it uh, on the Sky Sports broadcast saying, you know, if you win the Carabao Cup, it can really propel you onto other things this season. And oh, what city going to propel to? The quadruple? Great. Like, awesome. Super pumped for you guys. But Chelsea, it obviously would have been top four uh marco again uh Worrell saying that chelsea only win trophies in twos so that would have meant the the europa league um there, it just would have been a, a big lift because as i kind of went off um on a tangent at the end of the last episode saying it's just not a great vibe right now amongst the chelsea community and even if it is the lesser of the trophies, man, it would have gone a long way. You're beating a strong Man City team who went for it and uh, I don't know, just just didn't pan out, unfortunately. So Stu here asking, Keppa is still world-class with tons of potential. He's young and made a mistake. Let's not overreact and move on, people. My question to Nick, the team have shown today we've got some fight. 
wears it for the last four months with what we witnessed. Are you more confident about a top four finish this season? And let me add that Nick predicted us to not be in the top four this season. <laughs> uh, Convenience. Had to get that in there, didn't <laughs> uh, I, I, don't know honestly (laughs) if you had to like rank you know on a scale of one to ten how confident i am confident i am that we'll finish in the top four uh, i'd put it at a four probably i am not confident that we're going to finish in the top four you know i think that the the thing that the team showed well look look at the last month of results that's all i have to show you is it we haven't been consistent in our league form we haven't been consistent in cup form you know, the Europa League playing against, um, as Dan put it last week, and I cringe saying it again, Marsh Malmo was, uh, <laughs> you know, was fine, but they're a bad team that hadn't come or that had just come off of two and a half months off. Like, put no stock into that. Uh, you, you have to beat a pub team. So I'm not confident at all. I mean, you beat Spurs on on Wednesday, and that number might creep up a little bit. But all of this is to say that Sari has to, in every single match for the through the end of the season, win in the league. Win in the league. Win away at Liverpool. Win away at Manchester United. Win at home to Spurs. All of these things must happen. And are you, Dan, are you confident we're going to do that? Yeah, Dan. Yeah, Dan. Freaking Dan. I, th- I think... <laughs> I think the the magic of this season will end up with us somehow stumbling and bumbling our way into a fourth place finish, which I, I will say I did think at the beginning of the season. And if we hadn't lost some ridiculous games um, throughout this season to Bournemouth, for instance, we probably would have been contending, you know, in the the one two spot here. Um but, you know, it's it's never easy. Uh, and, you know, we kind of had the riding high initially and then slumped pretty hard. I, th- I think we'll find a way. And I think you look at the injuries starting to mount up a little bit now for Manchester United because they've been playing the same exact lineup for about a month and a half straight. And surprise, people get injured and they can't continue. I think Arsenal are also kind of hit and miss right now. They play good one week and they play poorly another. And I think if we can just stabilize on the back of this result, I think that we will will go ahead and claim a fourth place finish. I think it's not going to be easy, but I think we'll do it. All right. Well, it's that sure shit not going to be easy, especially with all the turmoil and chaos that surround Chelsea. I mean, forget thrilling. We should just put chaotic right now. <laughs> I mean, it'd be more realistic. Chaotic since 1905? Hey, hey, hey. Well, since, never mind. I'm not going to. I'm not going to jeopardize that relationship, Dan. Uh, Hari saying, Barkley had a much better game this time against City and recycled possession quite well. He still doesn't play a forward ball as much, which is a big problem in a midfielder that relies on him for creativity. Is it too crazy to suggest playing Eden Hazard there and playing Cho on the wing? Hazard is great in bringing the ball forward and retaining possession well. Many will call this ludicrous, but it might resolve some of our attacking woes by connecting the backs to front line in possession. I mean, look, Ed and Hazard running with the ball in space is magical. Uh, that's like the key of every manager. We've seen him try to play behind a front three. We've tried to see him behind, try to play behind strikers almost... 
I don't know, though, what the best kind of way to get him there is. I think that if he's in the midfield, though, and having to turn away from pressure a lot, that's the hard part because if he starts in the midfield, he has to go north-south a lot, whereas if he starts on the wing, he can just go north, right? He doesn't have to turn. He will get the ball with his head up. Midfield, it's a much trickier situation where you actually have to turn away from pressure a la Ruben Loftus-Cheek in overtime like a freaking boss and then go and attack. So I don't know. Personally, I don't think he'd be comfortable in that tight of space, Nick. We have seen him check into the midfield to get the ball uh, a lot, but it's not his best situation, I would say. Yeah, I, look, we we played Eden Hazard in every role conceivably in our attack over the last few years. He's played as the out-and-out forward. He's played on the right. He's played on the left. He's played as a number 10. Uh, you know, he's dynamic wherever he is, but to sacrifice where he's most dynamic, which is on the left-hand wing, to bring in someone else doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think we need to put a – box-to-box midfielder there who's willing to do some of the dirty work and who also has a penchant for carrying the ball and moving the ball forward. Now, I, I of course, Dan, I don't know who I'm talking about here, <coughs> Ruben Loftus-Cheek, but um, it seems like that could be the solution and open up some space. Yeah, I really enjoyed the Loftus-Cheek pairing up with Ed Nazard on the left-hand side and some of the just absolutely filthy... Uh, turn and press forward moves that he displayed in his cameo appearance in this match uh, were really, really special. And I think that's where you probably have a little bit more of a benefit there if you go with a natural striker in the nine position, leave Eden on the left wing, have Ruben Loftus-Cheek running into space behind him, pushing the ball forward. I think that you know is a little bit more terrifying for a de- you know defense to have to worry about. So. I think there is a solution there, but I don't think you take En Hazard out of his best position. I think this was one game where tactically it worked really, really well to do it. But, you know, he obviously said that he prefers playing on the left wing and, you know, we should be capable of affording him that and getting the most out of him um, when we are not playing opposition of a caliber such as Man City. They're not that good. Yeah, they're just okay. You know, I mean, Maurizio called him the best team in Europe, but whatever. Speaking of the best team in Europe, breaking news. Chelsea Football Club has today issued the following statement in regards to uh, was a, couple a days transfer. Ago. Hey, they don't know that, Dan. Jeez. Yes, they, yeah, they, they do. All right. It was anyways, so not so breaking news. Chelsea have been handed a transfer ban from FIFA. You know, the jerks who fake bids for the World Cup over in Zurich. Anyways, Chelsea FC has today received a decision from the FIFA Disciplinary Committee concerning alleged breaches of the FIFA regulations that relate to the international transfers of players under the age of 18. The decision imposes a transfer ban of two consecutive registration periods and a fine of 600,000 Swiss francs. It's not even real money. Chelsea FC categorically refutes the findings of the FIFA Disciplinary Committee and will therefore be appealing the decision the club wishes to emphasize that it respects the important work undertaken by fifa in relation to the protection of minors and has fully cooperated with fifa throughout its investigation initially chelsea fc was charged under articles 19.1 and 19.3 in relation to 92 players we welcome the fact that fifa has accepted that there was uh, there was no breach 
in relation to 63 of these players. But the club is extremely disappointed that FIFA has not accepted the club's submission in relation to the remaining 29 players. Chelsea FC acted in accordance with the relevant regulations and will shortly be submitting its appeal to FIFA. Uh, Again, I only kid about the Swiss francs if we have any listeners out there in Switzerland. But let's get into it a little bit, Dan. So the crazy thing, so first off, two transfer bans related to 92 players under the age of 18. Just in general, that is a ton of players. But I believe this goes back to 2012 because everyone is talking about the signing of um, Bertrand Traore specifically. Uh, Apparently, you can only sign someone under 18 to three years, and he signed a a four-and-a-half-year. It gets a little murky uh, as we get there. But uh, our friend Jake Cohen has a little bit of context and historical evidence to go off of. Yeah, well, I I think the first thing is, so 19-1 is just that international transfer players only permitted if the player is over the age of 18. Right now... um, Clubs in the European Union can actually register 17 uh, and 16 year old players as a part of like a, a, a an agreement, but that is also under jeopardy uh, depending upon how the UK or England leaves uh, the European Union as a part of Brexit. And then 19.3 is that uh, the basically it cannot apply to any player who's been previously registered with a club is not of a nation of the country in which he wishes to be registered or she wishes to be registered for the first time has not lived continuously for at least the last five years in said country. So, you know, if you're getting a player who is basically just moved to England to then register immediately, that could be found in violation. If you're, uh, of a, a foreign nationality and you get registered that way, um, so again, like it's it's not a matter of that. Like it's all clerical. Like it's all down to did we do the right things at the right time in getting players into Chelsea? And they're saying that with about you know twenty twenty nine players, you know, so about a third of these players that they audited, we were in jeopardy or violation of. Now, our friend Jake, legal eagle, said that Chelsea obviously are going to appeal the ban. The appeal goes to the FIFA court um, appeals committee, and they review it first, and then. If necessary, it would actually take another appeal, which would go to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Um, Think about like a year and a half, two years ago, uh, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid were both subject to similar bans. Um, Real Madrid actually got theirs fully overturned. Atletico Madrid got theirs reduced going through those periods. Uh, Barcelona, as Jake pointed out, uh, their appeal process took just over eight months. So during the time of the appeal, you are allowed to register. So this summer window is still going to be a transfer window for us, Nick, which makes it extremely crucial that some strategy, director of football, whatever it might be, is put into place to make sure that if we do suffer a ban, whether it's for one or two windows, that would be then the winter window for the next season. So for 1920, and then that would be the summer window for um, the 2021 season that we are kind of protected and put ourselves in a great situation. Yeah. uh, I think, you know, from, from people that we respect and trust on this type of matter, uh, you know, anything could happen here, but you know, if, if you kind of look at the precedent that's been established with Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, you know, it, it could, it could be a scenario where, where Chelsea are only out uh, from, you know, being able to do transfer dealings for the winter window, um, you know, heading 19 to 20. So 
that I, you know, obviously that's, I think what we're hopeful for. <laughs> um, that's kind of best case scenarios. We get it reduced by a, by a, uh, by one transfer window and are able to do business in both summers. Um, but I think to your greater point, Dan, uh, this, this brings a lot of interesting things to a head at Chelsea right now. Uh, one, we obviously don't know kind of what the future of our managerial situation or playing style situation is going to be. So that's like a, a big thing to take care of. We also don't know about the future of two of our most coveted assets being Callum Hudson and uh, and Eden Hazard, you know, to see kind of what the hell they're going to do this summer. Um, you know, we also, you know, don't really have, I've ever really had a plan to integrate youth into the first team. So there's another thing that this club needs to, in the next two or three months, figure it out and figure it out quickly. Otherwise, even if you have, you know, the same structure in place for, you know, the, um, the summer window, the 19 summer window, uh, it's still, you know, missing out on the chance to buy players. You know, if you think about that this year would have hampered us from getting Gonzalo Higuain last year, it would have hampered us from getting Olivier Giroud. Um, not having that window means the club has to plan and plan very, very well, um, to, to get back in it. So, um, in addition to all the monies coming in and coming out and the transfers coming in and coming out, you basically have to, you know, it's kind of like, you know, buying groceries for a big feast. You kind of have to make sure that you have all of your guests accounted for and have the you know, correct proportions. Uh, isn't, isn't the better scenario like a doomsday shelter? I, I don't know if necessarily it's it's like stockpiling for a big meal. It's like trying to prepare for the hol- like a nuclear holocaust. Oh, God. Um, no, I'm not that dark about it. So anyway, yeah, like it's essentially just planning, right? You have to have a plan. And if you're going to miss out Brandon on a window or two windows, you better be damn sure that the players that you have at your disposal uh, are going to do the job for the next two years. I mean, no big deal, right? We just uh, bring all 47 players back on loan and promote all 37 academy kids, and life will be great for Chelsea. I even heard a pundit, and I can't remember which dumbass said this, said it would be good for Chelsea to go through the band so that they can promote their youth. <laughs> well, it, it would just be good in general for Chelsea to promote or identify the right youth players to leak into the squad at the right point in times i think the ban you know ultimately would just force our hand in that capacity and Uh i mean i think a couple you know i think a couple things also have to happen too right so i think you know we need to figure out what players we should be selling that we're not going to continue to play or use anymore um super subs zappa costa potentially be one of those uh dan Drinkwater, if you could find someone to take on the wage and a couple other players would be you know ripe for kind of moving them on permanently and then you have to figure out, like, where are you going to spend? And you're going to have to do something similar to Keppo, where you go maybe a little younger for the type of player, you know, instead of going for a Mario Cardi, who's, you know, 25, maybe you go for like a Luka Jovic, who's, you know, 21, 22, you know, so you get that, you know, kind of potentially can spread your your resources around and then find the right youth players like a Reese James, like a Mason Mount, bring them back into the the first team as a part part of the rotational or the squad depth. And I mean, you're, you're, you're ultimately Nick, I think going to potentially lose someone like N Hazard and hopefully you keep Calm Hudson Adoy um, happy and, and keep him retained at the club because, you know, very quickly we could also find ourselves needing multiple wingers, which is again, you, you don't want to go into this transfer window operating at a massive deficit of needing to, you know, replenish multiple positions like in every 
key area across the pitch. You know who plays the most youth out of their academy? Leicester City. How's that going for them? Very good, as they just fired their manager <laughs> today. Yeah, like this is a mess. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, a transfer ban for a club that has relied on transfers for the last 15 years is not good. Um, you know, I think that, you know, as, as you look at the Atletico Madrid and the Real Madrid and the Barcelona and, you know, other clubs who have been uh, banned from transfers by FIFA, they all had really strict management structures in place to handle this. And they all had, you know, some academy players who rose to the ranks, you know, to, to make it. So it's um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. But the, the great irony in all of this, and, you know, there was a, a lot of hot takes on Twitter after this was announced on, on Friday. The great irony about this is that Chelsea are getting banned from, you know, from making legitimate transfers because they signed youth players that they were never going to integrate into their system. I mean, really. I mean, that's what it is. So, you know, selling Bertrand Traore for 10 million pounds, you know, two years ago doesn't really make up for this, right? Like, just it makes no sense. So uh, there's a lot at play there, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a mess for sure. I think that you can be somewhat comfortable knowing that we have a good core of young players as well. If you think of like a Rudiger and Christensen, you know, even an Emerson and Alonso, they're not old. Uh, Jorginho could easily survive the two-year window. Players like Ruben and who knows what Kovacic is going to do, but Barkley is still young. Uh, obviously, Gonzalo Higuain is not, <laughs> you know. But I think that, um, yeah, you would definitely have to look at reinforcing your attack with young players. Callum Hudson-Odoi is a great fit. That's why you look at potentially parting with Ed Nazard so you can get a striker, a couple wingers, who knows what the formation manager will be like through all this, but um, I felt good knowing that we had a really good group of, of um, young players in the core. Again, I don't know who I was listening to. I think it was um, the BBC again, and they were just like, yeah, transfer ban be terrible for Chelsea. They have an aging squad. And I was like, no, not, not really, actually. We surprisingly have a, a bit of a young squad, just a lot of experience, so... Um, we'll have to see how it goes. But anyways, uh, run a real quick ad break, and then we're going to talk about Spurs when we get back. All right, so the next match, as I alluded to, will be Spurs in the Premier League. It's going to be going down. Uh, I'm not looking forward to this. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. At Loyal underscore CFC underscore UT Kendall saying, what does the team need to do to forget about the final five minutes of the match and focus on beating Spurs? Damn, these guys are going to be exhausted. They're going to be depleted. Again, you've got just over 48 hours to get over this Keppa sorry gate, whatever it's going to turn into, if anything. like this is This is like the worst case scenario right now coming off this match yeah it's not great it is not the great kind of transitionary same point that you want to go into i think if you come in after winning the cup you're riding high you feel that you could double down on taking that excitement and the success and rolling that into a difficult midweek match i mean if you could have won it in regular time or even extra time you would have put yourself in a position to be a little, you know, save yourself a little bit more stress and anxiety heading into it. But ultimately, you know, it, it is a, a must win game, Nick. Uh, I think for a lot of reasons, it's a must win for me. So sorry, potentially for job security. It's a must win for the club to keep 
you know, combating for a top four. And you know, I think for the the players, you know, they have to show up. And I, I think, you know, for them to show that, you know, to know that they're capable of doing it, I think, you know, they have to, you know, want this just as much as uh, any other match that they played this season. Yeah, I mean, you know, your, your hope is, especially after we beat Spurs in the Carabao Cup, um, you know, on the, on the road to this final, uh, is that this team is fired up. You know, of course it's going to be tough. Of course they just got done with a grueling final. Uh, of course some of our best players put in everything and didn't get the reward for it. But this is Spurs at home. We were fortunate or unfortunate enough to be there last year to understand what that atmosphere is like. The fans, you know, it's our plead to, you know, to all the fans that are there. I'm pleading that the fans pick up these players. Uh, I know it's not been fun and far be it from me to tell, uh, you know, home supporters how to act. But if there was ever a time for, for, you know, the home fans of Stanford bridge to bring it and to lift this team on their shoulders, uh, it is against Spurs and, you know, win this match and you're firmly back in this top four race, lose this match. And, you know, you can see things coming unraveled pretty quickly more than they already are. So, uh, it's, you know, Brandon, no pressure, but, uh, it's a big one. It sure is. It has been not a great timing. I just, that's what I can't get over, Dan. It's, that was really unfair of these scheduling gods. And obviously when you make some cup runs, you, you have to have to move the schedule around a little bit. So I don't know. I mean, I, I sound pretty down. I sound pretty uh, pessimistic. Um, but what about you? I I think we're going to be tired, which is a problem. But I, I think this result, even though it was not a cup victory, even though we, we missed out on an opportunity to get silverware to, you know, our first piece of silverware for the season, I, I think that energy and that momentum if it's galvanized the right way, takes this team in, and if they adopt a similar strategy, because Tottenham are going to want to have the ball too. They're not going to want to just concede possession to us. They're going to want to go back and forth. If we can keep that same structure and rigidity, I mean, a, a draw is a bad result um, because we need to start picking up points, and there's a very limited number of matches left. So if I think we can nick out... Um, a one nil victory here. I think we, we would find ourselves feeling pretty good about it. I think then it puts us in a position where sorry can be a little bit more hopeful about retaining his job for the rest of the season. I think you can feel a little bit better about some stability heading into you know, the next round of Europa league matches. So ultimately win and, and we're good. Just, just focus on winning a draw or a loss is I don't think is going to cut the mustard for the board. Mm, that could be tough. Obviously three points are bust. But we'll see. Let us know what you guys think about this match. Obviously, quick turnaround. It's going to be on a Wednesday afternoon. So for all of you abroad, make your plans now so you'll be able to see it. Um, but look, no rest for the wicked. We're back at it. Uh, hopefully, uh, there won't be too much time to dwell on the uh, the last-minute loss to City. But, hey, 
the season stops for no one. It is good to kind of get back in it, and hopefully we can get the result we all want for Spurs. So uh, that's going to go ahead and do it for this part two. Again, if you haven't listened to part one, definitely go back. Amity joined us. Uh, fantastic episode. Uh, as always, Nick and Dan, a huge thank you to you guys for being here. But anyways, that is going to wrap it up. Please get in touch with us on social media. We are happy to continue this conversation uh, throughout the week. Email as well. But look, that's it from us. We got to go. It's been a good run. Uh, look for more content from us throughout the week. But you know what? Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.